Thanks, Olivia. Good morning. Uh, welcome to church. I want to add my welcome to Marcus's. My name's Rowan, one of the pastors here. And it's a great week as we come to God's Word to see what He has to say to us. So why don't we pray and ask God to help us to understand Him through His Word and see His world the way He sees it. Let's pray together. Lord God, thank You so much for bringing us together today. Thank You for the very real um, symbol that is going on here to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms as we gather as this small group of people people who've been bought by Jesus' blood. We ask that as we come to your word, as we've just heard it read, that by your spirit you'd help us today to see our place in your world and how we might live out what it looks like to be a child of yours. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to start uh, this morning by asking you to think back to your primary school self. For some of you, that might be a little scary. Um, for some, it might be a little far. We can't kind of remember that long ago. For me, it was, I don't know, what, 30, 30 years ago, something like that. Um, for many of us, primary school might have been the best days of our lives. I remember for me, it was the world of lunchboxes and playtime. Like, we didn't have many worries in the world. You could just go to school and you'd have, we'd have little lunch and then big lunch, and they were my favorite subjects. Like, it was just so good a time, and kind of the world didn't have that many problems. Now, if I were to ask your primary school self what you wanted to be when you grew up, what would you have said? You think for a moment. And don't call it out. Maybe write it down on, on your outline there. Um, when I grow up, I wanted to be dot, dot, dot. What would you say that is? For me, there was a long list of things that I was excited about. Uh, number one, a race car driver. That's what I wanted to be when I grew up. Uh, then it was followed by a famous musician. That'd be brilliant, you know, having people sing your songs. How great would that be? Then came the obvious fireman. I think most guys have a fireman stage in their lives. And then a veterinarian. I wanted to be a vet and work with animals. Uh, later on in high school, I did work experience as a vet for two weeks. Decided, no way. The hour's too long. I'm not doing that at all. And so <laughs> then I became a pastor. Hmm. But maybe for you, it wasn't a job that came to your mind, but rather a description. When I grow up, I want to be rich. When I grow up, uh, I, I want to be, for me, tall. My dad is six foot four, right? He's tall. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to be tall. But my mom's like five foot nothing. And so here I am in the middle. Uh, maybe for you, you wanted to be a husband, a wife, a mother, a father. Right, for many of us, there's often a sense when we look back at our lives and we think about what our primary school selves would have hoped we'd grow into, that we fall short of our dreams and ideals, that hope that we might make a difference in the world. If your primary school self could give you some advice today, what do you think you'd say to yourself, that primary school kid version of you? What would you say to yourself today? In the next section of Ephesians, God, through the Apostle Paul, gives us even better instructions than our primary school selves on what we ought to be like when we grow up. That's really what's on view for us. What are we to be like as we grow? And what's surprising is, while there's something that's common about what we're to be like as God's people and the way we ought to display it, there's also great diversity in the way God has made us and who He's made us. Over the last three chapters of the book of Ephesians, we've seen this incredible privilege we have of being called a child of God. Predestined, chosen, not because of anything that we've done, but simply because of God's incredible love for us all. And then adopted into His family, not because we deserve it or because we've, we've done anything to earn it, but entirely out of God's generosity and love. We call that His grace. 
who have been called to be part of his family. If you trust in Jesus, then you are part of his family. You've been adopted into the, the family of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We've been brought together, we saw last week, into this great magnum opus of the way God is showing his glory in the world in the local church. He's gathered us together here for his glory. And now Paul tells us how we ought to live as those people, how we ought to live out this reality of who we are. And so he starts in verse 1. Therefore I, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling you've received. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. One of my favorite bands when I was growing up, probably early high school, was a band called DC Talk. They had an album called Jesus Freak. Anyone listen to Jesus Freak? Oh, I don't think I'm going to ask that at uni church tonight. But well done. That's exciting, right? And, and they had this song that had an introduction, and, and the intro line always struck me. It said this, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That's what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. And then it went into a song called, What If I Stumble and What If I Fall? When you catalogue what God has done for us, when you recognise every spiritual blessing we have in Christ Jesus, the idea that it doesn't affect the way we live, the way we walk in the world around us is absolutely crazy, isn't it? But so often that's what causes so many people to turn away from Christianity because Christians don't look very much like Christ. Now I want us to note here, Paul urges the Ephesian Christians, you and me, to walk worthy of the calling we've received. It doesn't say walk this way in order to be called. It says walk worthy of the calling you have received because you have been called, because God has drawn you to himself. Now, if you're here today and you don't yet put your trust in Jesus, you're not yet a, a follower of His, I'm so glad you're here. Such a great opportunity to, to hear this point as well, because so often people think that Christians are people who try and do good things to earn God's favor, that we, we do good in order to, to be good enough for Him, and then He's happy with us. And, you know, that's the way that the, the Greeks and the Romans thought, the, the Greek gods and the, and the Roman gods, they, they had all sorts of different God, excuse me, gods, and the way to live the blessed life was to please Aphrodite, the, the, the god of fertility, was, was to go to Athena, the god of reason and wisdom, and, and, and offer Athena something there. If you could please the gods, then the gods would bless you. And so often we think that way, that that's the way that the god of the universe thinks. But I love you to look carefully here. That's not how the true and living God works. He says, walk worthy of the calling you have received. God's called to himself those who were dead. Those who could not raise themselves from the dead and he made us his. If today you, you see the blessings God has given for his children and you want in, then can I urge you, come and see what Jesus has done for you. Come and recognize that God the Son has laid down his life and is bringing you into relationship with himself and offering his love and forgiveness. And put your life in his control. He is an amazing God. And being part of his family means looking like part of his family. It means we'll need to display the family likeness. And that's what Paul is on about. And it's so easy, isn't it, to bring discredit to God. And so that DC Talk quote is all about, to acknowledge with our lips but deny with our lifestyle. Paul is saying here, do not do that. 
Do not do that. God's name and his glory are at stake. Instead, Paul tells us, the way we ought to walk, what it looks like to live out the reality of the, the calling that we have. And he starts out with humility. Now, in the first century, humility was not a virtue. Today, you know, we're all about humility. That's kind of one of the cultural norms of New Zealand. We need to be humble. That, that's kind of what we hold so strongly. But humility actually means to consider others more important than ourselves. In the book of Philippians, Paul outlines what true humility looks like, and he points to Jesus. Look at Philippians 2, verse 5. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he'd come as a man, he humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. We need to ask ourselves if we're serious about being a follower of Jesus, if we're serious about recognizing what God has done for us and being adopted into his family, are our lives characterized by humility? You know, immediately we go, yes, oh, no, <laughs> a bit humble there. But we've got to think through that and go, how can I actually consider others greater than ourselves? As we keep praying, as DeVault did for us this morning, as Paul encouraged us to pray last week, that we would grasp how high and wide and long and deep is the love of God in Christ Jesus, as we see more and more of who Jesus is and what he's done laying down his life for us, as we look to the cross, then we're challenged every time we see what Jesus did to consider others greater than ourselves, to think about how we might use who God has made us, challenged to think how far am I willing to go, how far am I willing to humble myself for others, Jesus came from heaven to earth, took on the nature of, of a human, of a man. Yet so often I'm not willing to cross the road for someone or to put my reputation at stake as I speak about the love I have for Jesus because, ah, you know, it's just too much. If we are children of God, then we need to walk the walk, Paul says, captured by who he is and what he's done for us, looking to how Jesus has acted. But we need to do that with humility and gentleness, Paul says. Gentleness is another family characteristic, right? Now, gentleness isn't asserting our position. It's, it's this idea of not using the power we have. So many people think gentle means being weak. The gentle person is the weak person. But that's not the case at all. I always think of that moment on the cross when, when Jesus is there and people are hurling insults at him and he says these words in Matthew 26, Do you think that I cannot call on my Father and he'll provide me here and now with more than 12 legion of angels? You're going to see power, like that's it, right? Do you know who I am? Do you realize the only reason I'm staying here is because I'm choosing to love you? But he doesn't call his father to bring 12 legion of angels. He willingly lays down his life. He is gentle in this regard. We need to be people who are gentle in the way we treat others. Recognizing the power of our God, recognizing the judgment of God. Not standing on, on our pride and thinking, I need to assert my particular position. We need to be people who entrust ourselves to our Father and walk out in His family likeness. Again, Paul says, if we're to be part of this family, if we're going to live out what this family looks like, we're called to be patient. Now, patience is something that I particularly struggle with, right? I don't know why, but God is taking a long time to make me patient. Like, why can't He just do it like that? It's so frustrating. But, and I look at the world around us, I would love to see more and more people becoming Christians and trusting in Him and seeing the great joy of being part of God's family. But God's patience is so good for us, isn't it? 
helps us to remember who's in control. It means that more people can come to know him. Because if, if he wasn't patient, you and I would not be here. The moment we sin, we'd be smoke. We'd be done. And God's patience means our salvation. And if we're to be part of his family, we need to be patient with God and with one another. We live in a world that's so full of instant gratification. We want it, we jump online, we buy it, and we get annoyed if it takes a day longer. Then we don't have to leave our house. It's like, oh, it's taking an extra day. You know, New Zealand Post, what's going on with them? But it just, we're such an instant gratification world. They say one of the best indicators of success for children is when children are able to deny gratification. When you, when you say to them, uh, psychologists have done this test, I'm going to give you one lolly now, but if you don't eat that for an hour, then you can, I'll give you two lollies when I come back. The kids that do that actually seem to go well in life rather than the ones that go, I can't handle it, open a lolly, I'm going to eat it now, right? Because that's what we end up doing. It's funny, isn't it? Because patience is a godly characteristic. The world's just catching up to the way our God is and the way we ought to be living. Do you find yourself frustrated with one another, quickly snapping at others, people in your family, people in your flat, people in the car park, people at church? We're not to be like that. But one of the things I love about God is how realistic He is. He recognizes that living His way for people who are naturally hell-bent on serving ourselves is is hard. It's not going to be easy. So he tells us we need to be bearing with one another in love. We need to be bearing with one another in love. See, this side of Jesus' return, there's always going to be sin in the camp. If you've gone to church and you've been hurt by people in church or by churches, I'm so sorry. But we're a bunch of people who are sinners, who are broken. And so we're going to tread on one another's toes. We're going to say things that we ought not to say. And so God is saying here, the mark of being in the family of God is not demanding perfection from one another as his people, but offering grace, bearing with one another, giving people time, time to apologize, time to come back, time to say sorry. We ought not to expect we'll be perfect, but actually recognize that we need to bear with each other. Imagine how God feels bearing with us day in, day out. I'm sure he must have a sore forehead from me. Oh, Rowan, why are you doing that now? Why have you done this again? Yet he bears with me and loves me. And he bears with us and loves us as well. Can I ask you today, as you think through what it is to live as his people, who are you refusing to bear with? It's a powerful question, isn't it? Who are you refusing to bear with? If we expect God to bear with us, How can we not extend the same love and graciousness to others he's called to himself, to others who don't yet know him? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, the mark of the Christian is love. Without love, we are nothing. So as those who have been so very dearly loved, Paul says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. Now, what is that? Kind of hear this passage, keep the unity of the Spirit, The world around us talks about unity all the time. We need to be united. But generally, that's just to what the leader says is the key thing we need to be united around. Um, Someone else might have a different view, and then there's division. Uh, You hear it in Christian circles. The church has got to be united. We need to be united as a church. The question is, what does that mean? 
Do we have a uniform that we all need to wear? Do we unite it in the type of socks and undies we have, or like the Mormons? Or you know, there's a whole heap of different areas we could actually think about what unity is. And Christians kind of talk about unity as everyone needs to be on the same page doing the same thing. If Christians were united, they'd all just be one big massive church in Auckland. We'd hire out, we'd make Vector Arena even bigger because we need way more, and we'd all be in the one church, and that's what it looks like. But that's not what Paul has in view here. It's not what God has. Notice, look carefully what he says, to keep the unity of the Spirit. Paul doesn't say to go and make people united. He says to keep the unity of the Spirit because he's talking to people who are Christians, who do trust in Jesus, who've been bought by him. It's a unity that's already been created. What is it? The mystery that's now been revealed. Jew and Gentile together in Christ. That Christ has made himself a a new people who are now united to him. Paul's prayer, Paul's urging is that we maintain the unity that already exists. The unity of those who trust in Jesus, that you would remain in Jesus. We don't need to try and work to be united. We need to maintain that unity that God has made. And he gives us then seven points of unbreakable unity. He shows us what that unity is in. I'm going to put it on the screen, uh, Ephesians 4 verse 7. The words that are underlined, I'm not going to to say, it's your opportunity for interaction. (coughs) Excuse me. So here we go. There is, that's okay, I'll show you how this works. Can you see it on the screen? Awesome. I'm going to stop and you're going to say the word there and that will help us to understand what Paul wants us to get here. You ready? I'm going to cough first. (coughs) Sorry about that. All right. There is body and spirit, just as you were called to hope at your calling. Lord, faith, baptism, God and Father of all, who is above all and through all. And in all. Marcus, can you give me a glass of water, please? Thanks. <laughs> you see why we've called this series one? Because the core of who we are, of what God is drawing us together into, is being into this one body. He's talking about um, the universal church, those who are gathered around the throne in heaven. And those who have the Spirit of God in us. We have that one Spirit in us. <coughs> God's teaching me to be patient, waiting for water. There's this one faith, the hope we have is in Christ, and one baptism we've been brought into Christ. There is one God and Father over all. The unity that we have is a unity in Jesus. And that's what we get to express. And so Paul says, keep expressing that unity. Now when we express it on earth, (coughs) patience, Ron, we express the reality that We're part of this heavenly gathering. We're part of what God has drawn together. And we express that by belonging to a local church, to a church that's here now. And we express this reality that we're in Christ. Hey, Marcus, I'd really love that as quickly as possible. God's again teaching me patience, but that's fine. (laughs) I thought I'd be fine. Thank you, Marcus. All right. And so that's what we've been called into. And as we gather together as God's people, we're expressing this unity that we are in Christ. He's not saying that all churches need to come together to be one church on earth. No, he set up lots of different multiple churches that are an expression of what's going on even in the heavenly realms. 
See, what's happening in the local church is no matter our background, if we are in Jesus, then we all share the same best friend. God's Spirit is in us. His future is ours. Jesus is our Lord. And we get to share that together. We get to express the unity of being in Christ. See, in the first century with the Greek and Roman gods, they're so unlike what we have with our God. The true and living God is he's one in purpose and plan. He's united in what he's doing. In a book, The Gods of the Olympus, um, this woman describes what the Greek and Roman gods were like. She says this, They are cruel, oversexed, mad, or just plain silly. You're like, ouch. Zeus, the number one god of the Greek world, the pin-up boy of the Greek um, gods, he's described this way, a serial adulterer, seducing or raping gods and goddesses, other women on earth, and boys when the fancy took him. That's not a great picture, right? So you can't rise above the standard of the God you worship. If there's no unity in the heavens, which is the the Greek and and Roman view at that time, then how can we have unity on earth? How are you going to get on when your God is doing horrible things to other gods and and someone else follows their God and you're like, how how does this whole thing work? But with the God of the Bible, there's one one will, one purpose, one plan. And that's who we're united in. And so Paul says that's how we're to remain and express our unity in Christ. We're to be like Christians in this, united in him. So how then do we express and maintain that unity? What does that look like? Excuse me. Well, look at verse 13 with me. Until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. We're to grow into the likeness of Jesus. God's answer to our primary school version of ourselves is that when we grow up, we ought to look like Jesus. That's what we want to be like. That's what we want him to shape us to be. That's the trajectory of human life. We need to be like Jesus. And if we aren't going to look more like Jesus, then we're not growing up at all. I mean, picture for a moment the kind of stereotypical 35-year-old male, never left home, um, doesn't have a job, sits at home, plays computer games, orders pizza, never takes up the pizza boxes that just grow in their room. Might be some awkward moments here, like, oh, that's still me, right? That's not good. (laughs) But the problem for many of us is that's what we're like as Christians. We're kind of like those overgrown kids who stay at home and aren't actually growing as they ought to be, aren't actually maturing as they ought to be. We end up what Paul says we ought not to be. We end up as little, big, little children, tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, deceived and defrauded, and not like Jesus at all. Instead, we're to speak the truth in love, he says. Not just any truth, the gospel, the news of who Jesus is and what he's done. The word of God, we're to speak to one another. The message of who Jesus is, is to fixate our lives, is to captivate us and focus our hearts. We have a saying here at EV that your, your best years as a Christian should always be ahead of you. Because God is making us more and more like Jesus every day. It's our desire as you come along here, we want to see people matured and grown up to be more like him. That's not just something that that happens. Like like getting old happens. Being old doesn't mean mature. Being old doesn't mean like Jesus. Paul says we need to work at it. 
And this is where we get more of our purpose, more of who we ought to be and what we ought to be like. We get what our value is and what we're to do with our lives. Look at verse 11. And Jesus, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for work of ministry to build up the body of Christ. See, within the family of God, within each local church, God has gifted us differently. Yes, we're united in Christ, but he's made us differently. Here we see that some are apostles. Now, I think he's talking about the 12 plus 1, Paul, the 13th, those original ones who were the ones who were sent out, who wrote the New Testament. He talks about prophets here, and he could be talking about Old Testament prophets, but I think he's talking about those with the gift of prophecy today that are applying the Word of God to the people that we have. Um, if you want to see more of what prophecy is, there's a series online in 1 Corinthians 14 to 16. You can have a listen there. Shameless plug to go back over that series and keep thinking through what prophecy is. Others are evangelists, those who've been kind of specifically gifted to be evangelists. Um, they're called, we're, all of us are called to give a, a reason for the hope that we have. But it seems like God seems to have gifted some in the way that he works to, to bring many people to, to know Jesus. A, a friend of mine, he's actually visited our church, but he joined the staff team of uh, a church I used to be in. And for the first year, one person per week, became, at least one person per week became a Christian through him sharing the news of Jesus. Over 52 people in a year, he would just share the news of Jesus with someone. They'd say, yeah, I want to follow Jesus. They'd become Christians. It just kept happening every week, every week for a whole year. See, some God just gifts in whatever way to bring people to himself through them. And then he has this pastors and teachers, which is really the one office. The key thing Paul's trying to say here is that we are not all the same. God didn't make us robots, kind of all with the same movements, doing the same things. He, he's gifted us differently. He made you the way he wanted you to be. And even with your pastors in church, we're not the same either. And he's given us different gifts there. So something that we're really committed to as a church is this model of team pastoring. That as pastors, you don't just have one pastor. There's not one pastor per congregation. But there's a, there's a team of four pastors, myself and Andrew and Ming and Ben. And we're pastoring the whole of EV with regard to different purposes. Uh, trying to see um, God glorified and magnified. Trying to see uh, people maturing. Trying to see people connecting in partnership as Andrew oversees our membership. Uh, trying to see people um, in ministry serving and on mission. And that's what Ming is overseeing with that area of mission. So we're a church that your, your pastors have got different skills and gifts. And we're then pastoring the whole congregation, the whole church with regard to those purposes. You notice here that the, the role of the pastor is not the professional Christian. You know, sometimes we think that kind of church is like everyone on the bus and the pastor does the driving and we just keep singing, you know, the wheels on the bus go round and round and the, and the wipers on the bus go shh, shh, shh. There's, a, there's a primary school kind of theme to this whole talk today. No, the role of the pastor teacher is to equip the saints for works of ministry. I want to put it to you that pastors are jackasses. There you go. You're like, what did he say? Here's a picture on the screen. We're, we're, we're donkeys, not mules. I'm not sure if, if you know the difference between a donkey and a mule. Um, put your hand up if you think you know the difference. Okay, there's a few. All right, donkey is, is a breed of animal. Uh, and 62 chromosomes in a donkey. Donkeys can breed together and have other donkeys. Little donkeys come out. But if you get a donkey and you mate it to a horse that has 64 chromosomes, you get a mule. So mule is a mixing of, of a donkey and a horse. 
Now, the problem is, a mule only has 63 chromosomes, and that means because it's an uneven number, they can't reproduce. It's impossible for a mule to have mule babies. You need one donkey and one horse to make a mule. What I'm saying is, pastors and churches are to be donkeys. We're to be people who see ministry reproduce. We're not just to go and be the mule who does all the work and then just stays with them and then when they get really old, they die and there's no one else left to take over the work of praising God and glorifying Him. No, we're to be donkeys that see others trained and equipped for works of service. So there you go. Did you come to church today thinking your pastor said you need to be like a donkey? Well, we do. (laughs) But here's the great thing about the God who has made us and called us into His family. He's made each of us different and each of us with a role in that as well. Here's the news. You're donkeys too. From him, verse 16, the whole body fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament promotes the growth of the body for building itself up in love by the proper working of each individual part. Those last three words, each individual part is talking about you. That we gather together as part of God's body, that God has us here and has gifted each and every one of us to be a part of the local church body. And our role is to build the body up in love. If you're not yet convinced that we're all donkeys, look at verse 7. Now grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. God's gifted us all to be part of His family. We need to view ourselves as contributors, not consumers. One of the biggest problems that I see in in church today is we can often come along and think, well, I want church to be this and be that and be that. It's like we're choosing our favorite restaurant where we go and we we pick the meal that we want and the type of seats we have and all the kind of music they have. But God's called us to be part of of a local church family where we all play a part. That's why our connect groups that Marcus kind of oversees are so important because they're places where we can teach and admonish one another, where we can build one another up around the Word, where we can hear how each other is going in life. So important. If you're not part of a Connect group, can I encourage you today, come and chat to Marcus or let us know on your Connect card after the service. But that's why we think about the way we gather is important as well, because we, we come together not to just receive as we gather, but to build one another up. The drive to church should be a drive where we get to pray, Lord, help me today, not just to come to consume but to use who you've made me, to use the ups and downs of my week and what I've been reading in the Word to encourage others to keep going and keep serving. Help me serve others by sharing the way my life has been. That's why we sing together as we gather together. It's to admonish and teach one another. We're singing yes to God, but also to one another as we remind each other how great our God is and what He's done. It's your opportunity to go, yeah, I'm going to help one another sing, so let's sing together about how great our God is. We're not to think of ourselves just as mules who've come just to do the task and die, but people who've come to equip and build up one another so that others may be able to serve, so that others might be able to serve. We're after disciple-making disciples, not just disciples of Jesus, but disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Repeater to the power of X, whatever. (laughs) I want you to imagine for a moment that for whatever reason, the coach of the All Blacks picked you to be on the next All Blacks team. I'd be like, really? I can't even preach without coughing. You want me to run on a field at the moment? But, but say, say he did. It'd be a massive privilege. He's gone, no, no, I, I want you. I know all your faults. I know where you're at. I've actually got a perfect role for you in, in, the next, in the upcoming World Cup. Now, you might have some pretty big doubts, but the selectors have said, no, 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 we, we know, we've seen you, we've watched you, we, we know exactly that you have what we want 
to make the next World Cup another victory. So you go, okay, this town's pretty cool, a bit special. I've been selected on, on one of the most prestigious teams on earth. But it comes game time, and the first game happens, you're like, nah, it's, I just don't feel like turning up today. I don't really think my skills are going to help that much. I just want to go shopping. I just need some new tracksuit pants to kind of hang around the house for a while. Not really in the mood today. Coach gives you a call, like, where are you? We need you. It's the first game of the World Cup. You're like, oh, look, I just didn't really feel like I had too much to offer. He's like, I've selected you. Like, I'm a good coach, you know. I coach the All Blacks. I know what I'm looking for. I, I've, I know exactly what you are like. I want you to be on the field. Where are you? Well, how much more when it comes to the creator of the universe, when he's selected you to be part of the team called the local church? He's given you the gifts that you have and said, it's time to run. It's time as we gather each Sunday to build one another up and as we scatter out into the world around us to use the gifts he's given us to point people to his son. He's given us the privilege of being on his team, not just the All Blacks, not even the Wallabies. <laughs> but the God of the universe's team, part of his family, being expressing the family likeness to the world around us. Friends, I want to encourage you today you come along to church feeling like you're not needed, unsure of how or where you could serve. We have a whole team of people that help people to work out how they can serve in church. Austin oversees that area of ministry for us as a church, and there's people with him that are kind of catching up with people, helping you to be around peg in a round hole. Maybe put down on your Connect card, hey, I'd love to work out where I can serve. Or perhaps for you, you're just feeling tired. Maybe you've been serving in like a hundred different places, thinking, I've just got to do this on my own. You've been running so hard, and you've not really remembered that Ministry in life is a marathon and you might need to think through, maybe I need to consolidate where I'm serving and, and pull back and serve in, in one area. Or, or perhaps you need to look to Jesus because you are feeling tired, but as you see what he has done and him laying down his life for us, you see again that we've been called not just to be comfortable, but to build one another up. See, the, the thing to note that Paul is clear about here is we recognize who we are as God's adopted children, that, that we're in his family, that we're also in his family business. We're in God's family business. And so we, we get this privilege of serving. But there's one other reason why I think serving is important. Uh, come with me to verse 8. There's a little bit of a tricky bit, but when we understand it, I think it's amazing. He says, For it says, when he ascended on high, he took captives captive. He gave gifts to people. But what does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lowest parts of the earth? The one who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens to fill all things. And you're like, what's going on there? <laughs> well, Paul's, Paul's quoting Psalm 68. And here, it's a psalm where, where God is talking about his triumphant victory, the way he's defeated his enemies, as he's led his people out of Egypt and through the desert. And then they go up Mount Zion, and, and there... God dwells with them and he distributes uh, his wealth back to his people. See, what would happen in ancient times is an army would go into battle, they'd defeat the enemy, they'd plunder the treasure of the enemy, then they'd come back and they'd distribute the plunder to all the people as a reminder that they'd won and securing the people's place in that victory. What verses 8 and 9 of Ephesians 4 are saying is this, Jesus came to earth, he lived and died. He defeated our greatest enemy, sin, Satan, and the death he brought. 
And then he ascended into heaven at the right hand of the throne of God, where those who are in Christ are now seated in the heavenly realms. And as he ascends there, what he does is he brings gifts. Gifts for us to use while we are still on earth. Gifts that remind one another that Satan lost. He's given us gifts because each and every gift that we have is another nail in the coffin of Satan. It's a reminder. God has made me this way to serve his people. Satan, you lost. The gifts that I have are used to be glorifying God. Satan, you've lost. As we express our gifts to one another, we get this amazing reminder that we have to remind each other, Satan lost, Jesus won. He's made me who I am. He's made, given me these gifts to serve him. It's a massive privilege to use the gifts and skills God has given us. As you look at your life through the eyes of your primary school self, you might be encouraged. You might be encouraged at how you've turned out. Or you might be disappointed. But today in Ephesians 4, God wants you and I to see ourselves through His eyes and see the importance of being united to Him in the, the unity God has created and saying, live out that unity. You've been called together for, for my sake, for my glory. And then to see that He's given us the gifts that we have. He's made us individually the way we are to build one another up and to put another nail in the coffin of Satan. God's word's clear that we are better together. He's created us as a local body, and how great is that? Just this last week, um, Netflix were in our street. They were shooting an episode of one of their TV shows, uh, The House Down the Road. And a couple of weeks earlier, they'd asked whether they could rent our driveway for us from us. So they could put like, some cars and stuff in there. And we're like, oh, sure, you can have the driveway for a bit. And they want to give us some money. That was kind of nice. But I had no idea what went into shooting an episode. And so like, when the day came, it was actually on Monday, a whole street was just filled full of people. And they were just at one house, way down at number eight. Like, we're 17. And, and th there's like cones, the whole street's taken out. There's people up and down. There's people out on the street. There's this massive tripod with a light that went up like about four houses up from the, the house they were shooting in shining light in so it looked like it was daytime when they were shooting at night. And there's just this sea of people. I was amazed at how many people it took just to put together one episode of a Netflix show. It's crazy. And it got me thinking. It's kind of like when you get to the end of a movie, isn't it? And, and you watch the movie and, and the movie scene ends and then you kind of, the plot's done and everyone gets up and walks out of the theater or you turn it off. But there's that long list of the boring stuff of all the credits of everyone who's involved. But do you know, if just one of those people in the credits wasn't there, the movie couldn't happen? So it is with the great narrative of what God is doing on earth. He's called us together. He's given us purposes. They may not feel flashy, but He's made us for the very purpose of seeing His people built up. We need each other. Friends, if you have trusted in Jesus, then you've been selected on the credit roll of the most important narrative in human history. But the thing is, the show is not over, not for you or I. We've got a part to play. We've been selected by the perfect and all-knowing God. Each and every one of the roles we have is vital, and He's given us the gifts we need to bring it out. And what we ought to do is vitally important. So Paul's encouragement today is to stay united to Him. You know, one of the greatest privileges I have as your pastor is loving and leading a church that is so excited to serve. I see it so often. 
people who are willing to get up super early to, to get a trailer here and to unpack things and to do things throughout the week. There's just so many different ways of serving. And it's such a joy to be part of a church that loves serving our great God. Paul says, keep that unity. Keep living out the likeness of Christ. Let's keep being a church that puts the nails in the coffin of Satan as we express the gifts that he's given us and bring glory to God and build one another up. Let's pray. Lord God, thanks so much for your word. Your word that reminds us that you have made us just the way we are for your glory and for one another's good. We thank you for the unity that you've called us to, that we are in that union with you now. That we are around the throne room in the heavenly realms. That your spirit lives in us. That Jesus is our brother. That the new creation is what we have to look forward to in that certain hope. Lord, we pray today that you would keep fixing our eyes on that reality. You'd help us to keep expressing that. To, to bear with one another. To have the hard conversations. To love others. And to use who you've made us for your glory. We ask, Lord, you give us the energy we need, the sustenance we need, so that we might keep serving you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recording from Auckland EV. We hope you found it helpful. And if you'd like to find out more about Jesus or about church, we'd love to get in touch. So check out our website at aucklandev.co.nz for more details. Thanks for listening.